On Friday, I came across this article in the Wall Street Journal entitled God and Man at Yale Law School, at Yale Law. And it's an interview with one of their law professors, a, a man named Anthony Kronman. And a few things really struck me in this article. First, uh, he, he said that in the academic circle, this is an exact quote, he said, in the exact academic circles in which I live and work, the only respectable of, uh, view of God is that he doesn't exist. He elaborated in the interview that to the extent that religion does figure into his colleague's conversation at all, it does so as a synonym for prejudice and superstition. Now, please don't, don't think I'm taking a pot shot at academia. I know many in academics here at ESU or throughout the country um, who are believers, but I was shocked and taken aback to hear him speak of the extent to which atheism had become the default position, at least among the faculty of Yale Law School. But secondly, what also struck me about this article is he spoke about growing up in an atheist household. His father had abandoned the orthodox Judaism of his youth. His mother had rejected the, the strict evangelical upbringing she had received. Both went on to successful careers. His, his mother was an actress in Hollywood for a while. She starred in movies with Ronald Reagan before retiring. And his father was a screenwriter in Hollywood. Many shows and movies that I would venture to say uh, we've seen were written by his father. However, he described his family as haunted by the absence of God. Finally, the, the, real, the whole gist of the article was that this man who'd been raised in an atheist household, who achieved remarkable pro professional success in an, in an environment that he himself described as uh, atheist, in his 70s, he began to sincerely search for the truth about God, something very encouraging and praiseworthy. I mentioned this article, God and Man at Yale Law, because I think it can illuminate some of the main points in our readings today and help us draw a, a practical application from them. But first, let's, let's take a look at these passages. In our first reading, Jeremiah cuts right to the chase, very blunt and to the point. Cursed is the one who trusts in human beings, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Jeremiah tells us that he is like a barren bush in a desert that enjoys no change of season, but instead stands in a lava waste, a salt and empty earth. Now the interesting thing is, a skeptic could push back against Jeremiah and say, if anyone's life resembled a barren bush in a lifeless desert, it was Jeremiah's. As a prophet, he was resoundingly, resoundingly rejected by the people in leadership of Judah. He died in exile having witnessed the city of Jerusalem fall and the temple destroyed. But of course, Jeremiah is not saying in this first reading, if you trust in God, life will go well for you always. No, what, he's, what does he say? He says that the one who trusts in the Lord will be like a tree that doesn't fear the heat. Its leaves stay green in the year of a drought. You know, what, what is he saying? The, the one who learns to trust in the Lord receives the strength 
to endure affliction, the afflictions of this life without losing hope. Jeremiah did that. To all appearances, he might have looked cursed, but in reality, appearances are deceiving. He was blessed. He was holy. Jesus builds off Jeremiah's oracle in our gospel where he gives us the Beatitudes. Now, I have to say at the outset, you might think, all right, that's not the Beatitudes I remember. The Beatitudes most of us think of when we think of the Beatitudes come from Matthew's gospel, from the Sermon on the Mount. These are from Luke's gospel, and he gives us the Sermon on the Plain. What's the difference? Well, in all likelihood, these are two different sermons Jesus gave at two different locations. The content is essentially the same, but there's variations based on circumstances, who he's preaching to. So in Luke's gospel, instead of the eight Beatitudes we get in Matthew, we get four. But we also get these four woes. Woe uh, to you who are rich, you who are full. Woe to you who are laughing and, and to you who other people speak well of. That word woe, W-O-E, it's, a, it's an old archaic word. We don't really use it anymore. In this context, it means something like curse, like a curse or a judgment. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be the first one to say these woes sound harsh. We've all laughed. What's wrong with laughing? Well, nothing's wrong with laughing in itself. Nothing's wrong either with being full or rich or other people speaking well at us. But what Jesus is getting at is that externals can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And very often, the truly blessed are those who appear cursed. And those who appear to be blessed, they may be in danger of being cursed. That's what he's getting at. We see, an evident, we see an example of that in Jeremiah, but we can also think of Good Friday. On Good Friday, Jesus appeared to be cursed. He appeared to be a fraud. Caiaphas appeared to be vindicated. But on Easter Sunday, the truth was revealed. Jesus is who he says he is. He rose from the grave. He is the Son of God made man and the Messiah. He's blessed if anyone is ever called blessed. He's blessedness himself. Caiaphas by contrast, is revealed to be this hypocritical high priest, high priest of God the Most High, who vigorously fought against God and his purposes. Appearances can be deceiving, and so the Beatitudes remind us that we need to try and see and judge things from God's perspective. All right, so what do these two readings have to do with this article about God and man at Yale Law? Well, a few things. First, I appreciate the honest assessment about the growth of atheism in certain segments of our society. Remember, he said that among his colleagues, the only respectable view of God is that God doesn't exist. And it's significant because unbelief is growing in our society, and not just atheism, but a, a contempt of religious belief as, as, at best, mere superstition. And so if some of us haven't encountered opposition for belief in God already, I mention all this because eventually we will. Eventually we will face exclusion and insult, perhaps even hatred and denouncement for the fact that we're willing to say, yes, I believe God exists. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he truly rose from the grave. Yes, I am a believing and practicing Catholic. But just as Jesus says in our gospel, when we do encounter this opposition, we shouldn't be afraid, but rather we should rejoice and be glad. 
Why? Because if we trust in him, then he will give us the strength to endure the heat and drought of opposition and ridicule. Secondly, I, I was really struck by this phrase of the atheist household that was haunted by the absence of God. It reminds me of a, a philosopher from the mid-20th century, Jean-Paul Sartre. He vigorously argued that God didn't exist, but he had the intellectual honesty to admit that atheism led to a deep sadness and a profound emptiness. And he seemed to acknowledge that the atheist is haunted by the absence of God from their life. It's as if there's a recognition here that life without God is like a barren bush in a lifeless desert. So on the one hand, this is a sign, a piece of evidence pointing to the truth of God's existence, to the truth that our ultimate happiness is found in knowing, loving, and serving God. But this also should encourage us to not be afraid of that opposition, to bear witness to the truth that God exists and we can know him. Because even those who perhaps insult or ridicule or exclude us, they too need what we have. They too need to know, love, and serve the God who is their first cause and their final end. And lastly, I was encouraged by Anthony Cronman's philosophical search for God, uh, but it also reminded me why God reveals himself to us in the first place, because he, he gets some key things wrong. And look, the reason for that is it's not easy to come to know God by reason alone, even though it's absolutely possible. But if that were the only way we could know God, by philosophy and reason, very few of us would come to know him. It would only be after a long time, and we would make a lot of mistakes along the way. But since our entire salvation is tied up with knowing, loving, and serving God, it only makes sense that he would reveal himself to us and those truths necessary for salvation. And that's what he does with divine revelation. Now, don't get me wrong. Reason, philosophy, very good. They complement our faith. Faith and reason together take our heart and soul and mind to heights we couldn't ascend by either alone. But my point is this, that what great minds struggle mightily to grasp by reason alone, we have in the sacred scriptures. And so we ought to do what the psalmist tells us to do in our responsorial psalm, to meditate upon his law day and night, to read and memorize, to pray with, and contemplate and ponder the word of God. So it's not enough to just trust in him. We have to absorb this wisdom, uh, the, these truths that he has revealed for us. You know, here's the deal. The reality of the world we live in is that secularism's march, it's not going away anytime soon. It means in the halls of, which hold the power over the culture, we will increasingly see the view that belief in God is superstitious at best, and bigoted at worst. Yet the truth is that God is real and he exists, regardless of what the faculty of Yale Law School think. And so we must be prepared to face opposition for our beliefs and to bear witness because the atheist is haunted by the absence of God. He too is created to know, love, and serve God, and we must bear witness to this truth. We must place our trust in the Lord rather than the culture we live in. And more than that, we ought to meditate on his law day and night 
This is what the saints of old had did, and God gave them a strength to endure the year of drought, the uh, opposition and affliction, and he'll do the same for us. So let us meditate upon the word of God day and night so that we too can be called blessed on the last day and become the saints he created us to be.